Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this 281st episode of Creative Control. On this show, I speak with Michael LaRiche of the band Fake Palms. Michael's a musician, singer, and songwriter based in Toronto, Ontario. He's formerly a member of the band The Darcys, who uh, appeared on this show about a year or two ago. It was actually Wes and Jason who appeared on the show. Michael was not on the show at the time, but he was in the band. But he has since struck out on his own to find an outlet for his darker rock and punk impulses, which he now has. He has an outlet for it with this acclaimed band, Fake Palms. Following up on their well-received 2015 self-titled debut record, Fake Palms is releasing a new EP called Heavy Paranoia, out via Buzz Records on September 30th, and they're playing select shows, which you can learn more about at buzzrecords.ca. In mid-August, I was in Ottawa for the Arboretum Festival, and so were Fake Palms. So that's where Michael and I caught up to talk about his band, his old band, the Darcys, getting punched in the face, resealing used CDs so that they could be sold as new. It's not his scam, but it was a scam as far as I'm concerned. We talked about Rob Ford, the late Rob Ford, and we talked about Toronto, and we talked about a whole bunch more. So listen to this. This is me in conversation with Michael LaRiche of Fake Palms. prefer mike or michael uh formally michael like in writing and stuff but personally people always say mike so that's fine do you have any nicknames uh i've definitely had many uh lucky uh also my last name's larish so get like 
people just mispronounce it. So like Lorichi. Oh right. Lorick. I got licorice once, which was embarrassing Sounds for delicious. the other person. Right. Um, but yeah, actually, I don't like licorice. <laughs> it's weird. Like know. any of it? Most people don't like black licorice. No, I just don't. Don't toy around with licorice. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, I'm not really a fan anymore either. My wife will get it for our kids sometimes, then I'll revisit it, and I'm like, this is not a thing. Why is this a thing? I don't know. Although, when I was a kid, I liked shoestring licorice. Oh, Because it right. was fun, because you could, like, tie it in knots and stuff. Uh, but I don't know. It's just not enjoyable to me. I just don't... It's like, is this candy, or is this... A just toy. garbage. Right, plus you have the stigma of people making fun of your name with it now. Yeah. So... Now you're, publicly. You're, you're done. Yeah, yeah, now we've... I guess, yeah, this is part of the thing. <laughs> we are in Ottawa, Ontario, uh, which is the nation's capital, home of uh, Alanis Morissette, or, or birthplace, Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you was I, a BC, Vancouver, maybe Victoria vibe. No, because of the hippiness? Maybe. I yeah. don't know why I think that. No, she's... I think she... Yeah, she was raised in this area. Okay. But I, I don't. She doesn't call it home or anything, as far as mm. I know. Anyway, that's uh, the context. Uh, do you have a relationship or history with Ottawa that's interesting in any way? Like, uh, I've only been punched in the face once, and it was in Ottawa. Oh, oh, <laughs> what was the? That's not good. What was the reason? No, it was years ago. I was playing a show at uh, Ritual. Yes, the club. Uh, the club, and. Uh, a girl had come to interview the band, much like this interview. Yeah. Um, and we had the interview, and then she was kind of by herself, so we were just talking and hanging out, just sticking around for the show. Uh, so just chatting about anything, and then uh, it's getting later, and we're about to play, and then this big guy kind of keeps hitting on her and, like, looking at her and, like, mm. kind of, like, making weird comments and then make, making comments to me. Being assuming like, that you're the boyfriend? Assuming I'm a boyfriend and, like, get away buddy like you it's my like i'm gonna get in here wow yeah it was really really weird and really dark and then he was a big guy like six four like 300 pounds like a giant man um and i'm not that no you're i was definitely intimidated but i was like well i'm not like security's here like i'm not gonna let this happen whatever so just kind of like laughed it off and avoided him and then i went to the bar to get a drink and he was right there and he kind of like grabbed me by the shoulder I was kind of like, listen, buddy, like, like you should like, just like, like leave or whatever, like go away. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then he made some small penis joke about me. Uh huh. And then me being a complete idiot, I was like, well, it takes one to know one or something of that effect. It takes a small penis to know another small penis? Yeah. So I was like oh, dissing myself and dissing okay, him at the sure. same time. Right. Because you got to know yourself, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and... I kind of grabbed the, my drink, it did come and paid for it and then turned around and then he grabbed me and pulled me and then punched me right in the face. Ouch. Right in the jaw. Oh my God. And I kind of flew back and like stumbled and uh, I didn't fall, which I was really impressed with. Uh, you were impressed with yourself. Yeah. I was like, well, okay, now I know I can take a punch, I guess. Yes. Um, which is something I think we all wonder. It's a revelation on some level about the human uh, yeah. bo- mind and the human body, yeah. Uh, and then it ended up being this big thing where the he was actually an off-duty security guy. Oh, no. So the security wasn't going to do anything about him. The bar staff wasn't going to do anything about it. And it, it kind of became a, like all the musicians playing that night were like versus the staff. And it was it was like the Cold War. Like it was like something was going to happen like... 
at one point uh wait one a minute, of my just just before you get there though he punches you in the face yeah what's the next thing that happens after that you go flying back what how do you <laughs> i go flying back kind of like gather myself for a second and i guess you get like you're i'm in shock or like yeah, have yeah. a bit of adrenaline or whatever and i kind of stand there and i think my normal reaction would have probably been to be like to i guess punch back or something sure. but logic due to this man's size dictated not to do so right so i kind of like walked up to my bandmates and i was like i was just punched in the face and they're like uh, uh what like and he was, punched you in the face and then just walked away like yeah he just totally. he just like i got i did what i to- like that to was do, it it was like weird clean huh. and over with and then so one of my bandmates grabbed a <laughs> an empty beer bottle and was going to smash it over his head and as soon as he was within five feet another security guy was like just put the beer bottle down wow kind of stopped that and then it just it was like the cold war it was the musicians were against the bar staff and nothing ended up happening but it kind of continually felt like something like the, the whole bar was going to erupt into wow. a huge fight yeah well that is a, i was not expecting you to say that yeah i thought you were going to say ottawa well i voted once but then you <laughs> that's not that's not a good story i mean it's a great story but that's you're okay now you weren't okay now you're able to play the show it taught me something about myself actually Ottawa, something weird has always happened every time I come to Ottawa. Oh, how's it going so far? This time it's been great. It's gone off without a hitch. You've been here less than 24 hours, though. Yeah, and I'm here till tomorrow, so we'll see how that goes. Okay, all right. Yeah. What, what band were you in? Are you allowed to say what band you were in at the time? Uh, I'll have to check with my lawyers, but I, th- I was in the Darcy's at the time. You were in the Darcy's, and that's, yeah. I think, where we met. Yep. And uh, the Darcy's, didn't they have another situation where they got in trouble at a university bar or something. Is that here or was that Kingston or something? Oh yeah, they all, everyone in that band except for me uh, went to school at Kings in Halifax. Right. And we played some show there after they had graduated. We'd come back and played a show and then like like hung out at the campus bar because I guess we felt like being creepy weird dudes. Right. Oh, because they went uh, there. They yeah. went. Yeah, yeah, it was the like the Ben Affleck character in Days and Confused, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and hung out there and like no, drank. No, no, wait, that's Matthew McConaughey. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Ben Affleck. The closest thing I can think of is Ben Affleck being at the bar, at the Harvard bar in Goodwill Hunting, but that was actually Damon. No, he was there. Yeah. I see what you did. You confused the two. Yeah. Yeah. I just am trying to map out where you went wrong there. And you're thinking, I think, of Matthew McConaughey. As a huge fan of Matthew McConaughey, I'm pretty disappointed in myself. Oh, well. Um, How about this Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who keeps showing up shirtless in photos? Have you seen that? It's become a bit too much. Reminds me of Matthew McConaughey. It's like when you got friends and they know they're attractive and they flaunt it a bit too much. Is that what he's doing? I can't figure it out. He's just photobombing people half naked. It's kind of like, yeah, like I'm the cool, young, like hot Prime Minister. Everyone look at me shirtless in the middle of the woods camping. Very strange. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I digress. So you, yeah, there was some, it's probably not worth talking about, but there was, yeah, you were banned from a... It was just a debaucherous night at a campus bar that ended up with us pouring beer into some underage kids. Right. Yeah. It was all in good fun, though, and everyone was okay. That band seemed to have a lot of, uh, not a lot of them, but there was, because it was, when I met you, uh, I think probably for the first time you were in the Darcy's, a four-piece band. And there always seemed to be some kind of shenanigans going on. Yeah, it was a bad. We always got ourselves into some some bad or hilarious situation. Right, but As, you, you I s- think it's pretty common to be abandoned. Do that, 
but we also had Wes, who was a really good storyteller. So right. that certainly helped. Yeah. Not that he exaggerated, but he just could spin a good yarn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, you subsequently left that band. Yep. It's probably shortly after I saw you play with them, maybe. I don't know. That was a couple of years ago? When what was that? Hillside Inside? Hillside Inside yeah. was a couple of years ago, and I yeah, yeah. had those guys on the show. Yep. And uh, you weren't there. I don't, you, know, you, weren't at the, you weren't at the interview. But yeah, you, uh, yeah why, why, so why are you not in the Darcy's anymore? Uh, I wanted to do my own thing, and they wanted to take the band in a different direction, uh, one that I wasn't really interested in doing creatively. And uh, so it just kind of felt like, I mean, it's the most obvious answer, like the creative differences creative thing, differences. It's, but it, it truly it was. It actually truly was. Yeah. And they, I've noticed that uh, on my Facebook feed, they seem to be really promoting some, I haven't listened to it, but it's, it's a different direction. It's like a popper thing. It's yeah. more pop-like thing. Yeah, it's like a modern pop sound. Yeah. Um, I've heard the singles. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's got, it's kind of like a weekend vibe, I guess. Oh, like, like the weekend. Like the weekend. Yeah, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. Kind of an R&B, yeah. soulful. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good for them. And York. so let's talk about that difference. What did you want to do? Uh, at the time, I really wanted to make a really mathy guitar rock record. Uh, and I wanted to do it completely. I basically wanted to do the opposite of what they were doing and what they wanted to do. They went more populist. You wanted to go a little scuzzier underground. Yeah, I wanted to like make a record that was recorded live off the floor and had like as little overdubs as we could and be as weird as we could while also retaining some sort of melodic structure and melody and stuff. And yeah, it, I mean, clearly like, it was just the opposite of what, what they were doing. Yeah, like I listened to the Fake Palms. I and mean, by the way, so you made uh, the Fake Palms record or does the, is the record itself a reflection of your own demos that you did at home by yourself, or is it a real full band record? The first record is definitely just songs I wrote um, kind of over the years that I couldn't and made no sense being Darcy songs, and I had no out, outlet for them. Would you normally contribute uh, songs to the Darcy's? Uh, Jason and West were the main songwriters, and then I'd kind of be that guy who would when he had a good idea would throw it out okay. and maybe it would stick maybe it wouldn't right okay um, so definitely not a main main writer by any means um, and that band had a bit of as I recall like it always had a, a, a pop sensibility on some level as far as I can recall but totally. but the stuff that you're talking about seemed to inform some of those pop things that kind of more difficult challenging stuff yeah it was in there somehow totally but they kind of were like eh yeah, I guess they, I don't know, they, they, I go for it is the only term I can even relate it to. Like yeah. they just, just, they just want to go for it. They want to like have, be a fun pop band, I guess. Well, the weird thing, part of your story and the narrative is that Wes uh, was contributing to the Huffington Post for a while. Like they yep. would let, they would let musicians write these blogs and they wouldn't pay them. But it was just like a weird form of promotion, right? So they, uh, various people would have, would have done that at various points in time. But he wrote one talking about, I think he actually addressed the fact that he was, they were downsizing the Darcy's yep. because of the uh, economic reality. And so you were part of that downsizing, I guess, in a weird way. I mean, it sounds like yep. you had your own stuff you wanted to do. Yeah, like Dave wanted, I remember it like, pretty well Dave wanted to be a writer he's a novelist and 
he wanted to focus on is a novelist a word is that a word that's for? A, a novelist is okay. a word a person who writes novels cool what's his name his full name dave herlow dave herlow yeah is he a published novelist he has one book out and i believe he's working on a second okay uh and actually he just got home he's been traveling for the last year writing in like cambodia and thailand and stuff oh interesting uh, you're still in touch with dave he text or he texted me two days ago actually and he was oh. like hey i just got home like let's let's meet up and oh, get nice. a beer nice. uh so I can't wait to see him. Okay, good. Actually, uh, the sweetest man alive. Uh, but he wanted to leave to focus on his writing. And uh, at that meeting, I kind of wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then we talked about what the band was going to do. And I was kind of like, well, I would like to do this maybe. And I wanted to make my own record. And that kind of wasn't cool with the, that yeah. band. Uh, and so we just kind of decided. It was like, well, I just, I don't think I have a role in this band as it will be moving forward i'm just gonna go do my own thing but beyond the creative that's great i mean yeah. the fact that you were you were self-aware enough to do that that's awesome but did you what did you make of his public pronouncements about the kind of financial predicament a band like the darcy's was it were, were in at the time i mean i guess i get it i just don't view the world the same way oh um I understand being like getting older and working on something incredibly hard and giving it your all and then kind of being frustrated if you don't see the return in some way or whatever the return is that you want it to be. Attention, response. Yeah, yeah. I get that. But I also think in being a creative person, like you kind of have to expect that. And I guess it makes sense to make a conscious effort to just really do that kind of like a hundred and... 10% I don't know like it's it's a strange thing um, I found myself in the same position doing stuff like this because uh, at various points people say hey how's it going and you have to say well you know I'm making a thing yeah and I chose to make this thing I haven't made it a particularly financially viable thing I haven't made much of an effort to endeavor to do that I mean you're the Darcy's for example that band you were on had an infrastructure you were on a label they're mostly people who should have been doing all that. You guys should have been making your songs and having meetings about what to, how to promote those songs. Yeah. But ultimately, the job of like figuring out how to make you guys uh, have sustainable lives kind of was out of your hands on some level, I think. Whereas, yeah, some people, like you say... Not to say that people at the label weren't doing their job. No, no, no. And I'm just saying, but as a creative person, you... Like you say, I think you know what you're getting yourself into. We didn't go to... We didn't become doctors yeah. or lawyers or whatever. Like, we took a route that uh, isn't going to necessarily be easy. Yeah. And um, to whine about it, I mean, I find myself sometimes complaining about it when people ask. Um, of course. Or, or, you know, these days you, you, if you're, I don't know, I have misgivings about it too, but you end up crowdsourcing and crowdfunding and you're like this is sort of strange I just want to make a thing but it's true like how am I supposed to make it sustainable anyway he took a bit of flack for that thing I think so um, yeah I certainly didn't agree with it I guess I should say like I'm cool with Wes and Jason like we're all good yeah, friends yeah, yeah, still sure. yeah. uh, and I wish them nothing but the best but of course we have differences of opinion uh, and that was one of them I, I didn't love the spin on the whole thing that yeah. that was uh, I know when Exclaim picked up the story, they wrote that Dave and I left because the band wasn't making money. Right, right. Um, and I really 
really didn't like that because that certainly wasn't the case. Um, I stopped being in that band so I could be in another band that would definitely never make money. <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. So. Right, right. No, this is why I asked because I think the the way you went off on your own is vaguely colored by whatever that situation was. Yeah. And uh, and that's fine. And, and so you started making uh, these songs for yourself. Uh, you say your home studio. And... Ottawa sanitation driving by. Hopefully people can hear that because it's important to know that the garbage is leaving the city. What was the next step for you? You had this uh, backlog of your own stuff. Mm -hmm. Were you recording it? Like, did you make... I had some demos at home. Like, I have a very modest home setup for recording stuff. Um, And I had all these songs. I was kind of decided, like, you know what? And I started telling friends. I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And they kept asking me, like, well, where's this thing that you said you are going to yeah, do? Yeah, sure. And kind of putting that pressure on me, which I was really nervous about, but it really helped. And so I started sending the, the songs to friends, and they were really supportive and helpful. And I got, like, Simone and, at the time, like, Lane and Pat, who uh, were in the band. And we kind of practiced twice with the songs and just went and made a record. Oh, really? That's yeah. it? Oh, okay. So it was the- really rushed. Wow. On purpose? Did you uh, want that immediacy? Partly, uh, but also I'm just an incredibly impatient person. Is that right? And I was kind of just like, all right, guys, like, yeah, I booked studio time. It's in a month. We can, oh, what's your schedule? We can only practice twice. Oh, we'll just make it work. And how much did the songs change from the time that you set that schedule in place to what ended up being captured? They got a lot heavier than they were. The demos were a bit more Motowny or something. Like less, really? less of a... More swing. Yeah, or not even swing, but with Simone's drumming style and Pat, who was playing bass at the time, like Pat comes from bands like Burning Love and that kind of like heavy background. And Simone is such a monster drummer that just it just happened. Mm. Uh, it made it everything a lot heavier and it, we kind of just went with that vibe. Oh. Yeah. Okay, because I saw you guys, the last time I saw you, uh, Fake Palms play was in St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, I think it was on the Kitty Vitty music crawl. Okay. And it was amazing. Like, the band sounded really great. Was it a trio at that point? No, it was a four-piece. No, I, I couldn't four really see because it was very crowded. But uh, it sounded awesome. Thanks. It was a really cool sound. And I thought it sounded, it seemed to be a, an evolution from the record on some level. But would you, how would you characterize the sound now compared to that? that rushed session as you as you call it well we uh, I think we're actually a band now where when we made the record we were just like well like we didn't know what was going to happen with it I wasn't going to send it to labels or anything my friend Maria who runs Fuzzy Logic which is the label that put out the bicycles record and all that stuff she's not really doing that anymore so she's like I'll put out your record if you want but like I'm not yeah. going to help you like really like I can stamp the name on it one of the things I like about Maria is her honesty yes and uh, yeah she's amazing Uh, but she was sweet and really helped and then we sent the finished record to a couple friends like well do you want us to pass this around and then we got it to Ian and Denim at Buzz and they really liked it and so it was kind of completely accidental that it all happened Mm. Uh, but yeah with the live show we've now actually been a band instead of just a random group of people for a year now so it, it feels more cohesive and just tighter and heavier and there's more of a, uh, a vibe and a dynamic than there was before. Do you, do you have, yeah, no, that comes across when, uh, when I hear it and when I see it. Do you have a sense of what 
has drawn you to more subversive sounds, so to speak, after, you know, you got a little, the Darcy's were, they were a popular band, right? On some level, despite Wes's article. Uh, <laughs> You'd played a big show, like big crowds. We played some good shows, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know when, if, if I was in the band, if I would, like, say it was ever popular. Like, right. Although, I, that's the thing, like, with any Canadian band, like, you tour Canada, and you'll play your big show in maybe Vancouver and Toronto and Calgary, but then you'll play Kelowna or yeah. something, and then you'll play to four people, or right. Hamilton and play to four people. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. It's yeah. a, a smaller market thing. Yeah. Uh, but do you... Yeah, so where, where I was coming from was that on some level that band was a little more well-known. Yeah. Uh, you did a thing where you were like, I kind of want to get away from that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on some level, you have chosen credibility over populism, so to speak. Like you've gone sort of underground. Can you talk about that impulse? Like what? that's just what you're interested in. Yeah, well, with that band, it was never my band. I just joined a band that had already existed and was just excited to be playing music and touring professionally at a certain level and just making some sort of go at it, even if it wasn't my thing. Yeah. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it while I was doing it. Um, but I'd always be listening to the bands I grew up on were always like bands like The Microphones and Eric's Trip and Mount Erie and like kind of weirder stuff and not necessarily heavier stuff uh, and drone music. And I was never into Although that's not totally true. I like like I like a good Katy Perry song and all that stuff, but I was always drawn to people that recorded themselves and the like Rick White thing. It's like, well, your band should write songs and you should record them yourself and like that should be... And do the artwork and do yeah. everything yourself. Yeah, that's his thing, yeah. And I love that and I always thought that that was the perfect way a band should be. Um, and so this is just an extension of that. This is just me doing yeah. my thing, which is which is that. Okay. Where did you grow up? I grew up kind of North York, Scarborough. Toronto. Like Victoria Park and Ellesmere, yeah. yeah. Toronto, I guess. Toronto um, suburb, yeah. But I also, my parents split up and I lived half of my life in Beaton, Ontario. Where's that? Uh, just south of Alston. It's kind of like you take the 400 north. It's like Bradford or Newmarket, kind of oh, in and around that area. quite cottage country, no. but kind of rural. Rural. Vaguely yeah. rural. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you spent some time there. Yeah. So what, how, what were your access points to Eric's trip, microphones, Mount Erie? Uh, I was, I worked at a record store. Well, as a kid, I was listening to bad music, like really bad punk and ska music. But I think that's a good entry point because if you're doing that, the time I was doing it, I thought I was like, well, I'm using this music as a jumping point. This isn't, this isn't the popular music right now. So because of that, it's like, well, I like this music because I think it's weird. But then you quickly realize as you get a bit older, this punk and ska music isn't that weird. Right. And then so you, I just kept searching for weirder and weirder. And I grew up with the internet. Oh, right. Of course, the internet. Yeah. Okay. So you were like scouring the internet for inspiration. Yeah, looking for stuff and then working at a record store and having like cool older dudes recommend stuff to me. Was it Where was the record store? Uh, I worked at a bunch of HMVs in Toronto, pretty much every single HMV I've worked at. Oh, you did? Okay. Uh, and Criminal Records. Right. For a while, too. Was that across the street? It was at Queen and Spadina. Sorry, the, yeah, I meant across the street from the Young location. Oh, that was a Sunrise. Yeah, I uh, also worked at that Sunrise. Did you really? Oh, yeah. So you like working at record stores? Yeah. 
at the time, for sure. So people who don't know, HMV was, was is this giant chain. It's sort of diminished now. It started in England, but there's yeah. some here in uh, Canada, and they were kind of the dominant major record store chain, but then they have stopped stocking music as much. It's so strange to have to explain that. Well, I realize I totally that some of my audience it, yeah. is uh, not necessarily from uh, Canada. Right. They might not even know who Alanis Morissette is. I mentioned her earlier uh, as being from Ottawa, but uh, she's popular. We would con- consider her somewhat high profile. She, she would be the queen of Canada if we had one. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you worked at all these record stores, and uh, as much as they're kind of like mainstream record stores, so to speak, like you didn't work for the mom and pop indie rock store, but there's no. always like a knowledgeable staff, like a bunch of people like yeah on some level that's still a good place to work so you had just good people to work with who were like hey you should check this out yeah i had some good friends uh some- hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Lifelong friends I met there that showed me good music and got me in a weirder stuff and it was it was great aside from the actual working part yeah and it's like it's kind of weirdly like working at a library you're just like stocking you're putting things on shelves yeah it's not like empire records unfortunately <laughs> and you've got to deal with uh, customers yeah it's the worst it was bad right yeah hmv used to have this crazy policy where anyone from any walk of life with no receipt could come in with all their stuff and just say, I want to return this or exchange it. Yeah. And it's even like, if it was open too. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like you didn't have to prove you bought it there. What was the deal with, were you around for that? Yeah. I was at the tail end of that. What the hell? Why would they do that? I didn't even understand what they were doing. I think they What's got What's the advantage to that. They got way too cocky because they were selling CDs at that time for like twenty five ninety nine. if it wasn't a new CD. Right. So they were making tons of money. That was kind of, I feel like that was the end of when the music industry was doing really well. Mm -hmm. And then CD burners became a thing and they were super late to that. Mm -hmm. I would take home CDs and burn them all the time (laughs) and bring them back. (laughs) That's what people were doing, right? Some people. And then, yeah, like I was broke as a student at one point and I realized they had this policy and sure, yeah, I just went in with everything. Yeah. And they gave me like uh, all this money. I think it was money. They gave me money. Right? It wasn't just credit. Yeah. It's like how Sonic Boom works where you can sell your old stuff, but you can just bring them stuff and they'll give you full price for it. Yeah. Is that still a thing they do now? I I haven't stepped foot in an HMV in years. No, no. Sonic Boom. Oh, I think you... Well, you can sell them records and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I don't know what they pay out. 
But what do they do with all? What did HMV, uh, HMV do with all that? Like, a lot of the times they'd return stuff. it to Re the distributor. Oh. Or they had that sweet. Actually, the best part of the job was the resealer thing, right. where you put the plastic on it and you have the heat gun. That was my favorite part of the job. Oh, so you'd fake sell something as new? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you can tell too. The cellophane is different. It feels different. That's crazy. Yeah. What a weird. Anyway, you learned a lot at this job, clearly. Oh yeah. When did you start playing? Like learning an instrument? I guess or you so. Mean? Yeah. Like, did you did that follow your experience working at the record store? Were you just like, I got to figure out how to do this? Uh, no, the record store actually kind of became a thing because I wanted to get into music because I was, like I started playing guitar when I was like 14. And so by the time I was working at a record store, I was probably 17 or 18. Okay. And it was just like, well, I'm, I'm going to try and be a musician. I guess I should work at a record store. I right. had no idea. Uh, and that's kind of how that came about. Okay. And what was your first instrument? Uh, guitar. Guitar. Yeah. And did you learn yourself? No, I took some lessons. Uh, my mom wanted me to go to, she was super supportive of the whole music, musician thing. That's good. Uh, which was great, but she's like, if you're gonna do it, you're gonna go to school for it. So I was, uh, I was taking these like jazz lessons uh, and trying to being on the track to go to like Humber or York or something. But after about a year of that, I, was, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it. I didn't want to be a jazz guy. So I had to let my mom down and be like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. But does that, that base of knowledge actually inform how you play now? Not at all. But did it not inform? Like, here's the thing. I figure if you, because jazz guitar playing isn't easy, right? No, not at all. How far did you get? Not very far. Oh, I see. Okay. You were just overwhelmed by it. Uh, yeah. I think I know the major and minor scales. Okay. But that's it. But I mean, I would think that you could take, I have this theory about like musical instruments where like, if you could get to a point where you know how to do everything, they're just options. Like you are still have to be creative with the instrument, right? Yeah. And figure out, find your own voice with it. But if someone, if you had developed a skill set where you knew the thing backwards and forwards, and if someone's like, hey, play, you know, Aerosmith and then play Django Reinhardt and you can do both, you're kind of sailing because you know the thing, you know all the codes, you know how to make it do whatever you want. You see where I'm coming from? I totally see what you're saying, but I also think if you know too much, you kind of weirdly put your can't it's you have the possibility of putting yourself in a box really i huh. when i was trying to write songs of course you write a bunch of songs but they're going to be terrible but i noticed when i was like using things i was like oh i can't do that like that doesn't make sense the oh yeah theoretically. Right. sure and then so i'd write things that'd just be really boring but they'd fit the the rules right quote sure unquote. um there are a lot of rules yeah, and so I felt like as soon as I forgot all that stuff, I started writing stuff I liked. And the people I liked growing up, like Rick White, again, like those dudes are like self-taught mm -hmm. and they just kind of did it. And growing up listening to punk rock, it's like, well, you don't need to know anything. You just need to be creative and you need to figure out a way to make the instrument work for you. Right. So that's your biggest, just the, the can-do... I'm gonna do this myself, like just being driven to do it. You make it sound so positive. <laughs> I said can do. Right. There's nothing more positive than that. Yeah. All right, so then, so you get to a point where uh, Fake Palms is a, a real band, you've been touring stuff. You are uh, part of this Buzz Records thing. You sent mm -hmm. the, you said you sent the record around and the people at Buzz, uh, you said Ian and Denholm yep. picked it up. Uh, what is it, that there's buzz around Buzz, or there has been for some time. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you to be part of that? 
sort of community? I just like the fact they're just extremely uh, hard workers, and the it's just all my friends, which is super nice. So it's nice to look around and be like, oh yeah, you guys are my friends. You're working on what you want to do, and you're doing it very well. Mm -hmm. And now there's more of our friends helping to put it out and get it across the world. And for whatever reason, there's it seems to be a spotlight on Toronto and specifically Buzz Records right now, yeah, which is amazing. I don't know how that happens. Uh, I try not to think about it too much. I think the work is good. Yeah. Uh, there's obviously something that happens where if you're the right people, the right influential whatever media people or musicians get catch wind of something and they get behind it then it creates a bit of a groundswell of, of interest but uh i think i think people are responding to the bands and the artists right i think so i'd like to think so so who's on the label yeah dilly dally and weaves yeah grays bad channels uh us twist uh adonis adonis were on the label um are they done they they put out their newest record on Telephone Explosion. Oh, that's which right. is also the other thing about that is that there's a number of amazing labels in Toronto. Yeah, which I I respect and I think they're putting out great stuff too. Like yeah, Telephone Explosion and Hand Drawn Dracula, uh, and Pleasance, and Fuzzy Logic. Like I still like all those releases. Yeah. I don't know. I feel I'd feel weird if I forgot a label, but yeah, I there's really, a lot going on. It's yeah. hard to keep. There's still it does seem like like you you're born and raised essentially in Toronto mm -hmm. uh, do you have any kind of reflection upon what's happening beyond what we just discussed like to buzz I mean as you say there's just a, it seems to be a good explosion of of talent and of people just willing themselves to make stuff and it's actually paying off so to speak getting attention it's really nice and I try not to think about it too much I guess I'm really bad at analyzing that kind of thing like I would say that it was I guess because of Mets and oh. that kind of shone the light on the Toronto louder music scene, I guess. It's or funny that recently, that's maybe? funny. Cause I had just had, um, Katie monks on the show from yeah. Dilly Dally. And I was telling her what I thought oh, we were having a discussion about why Toronto's having this prolonged moment, uh, in terms of global attention. And I've kind of broke down five things that I thought had drawn a lot of attention to Toronto um, not just to its music, and among them were Drake and Rob Ford, right. the Raptors doing well, the Blue Jays doing well. I just was like, there just seems to be like Toronto's constantly in the news for good and bad reasons. Um, and then one of the last things I said was fucked up. And she said, oh, is fucked up really that popular? And I said, well, I don't know that they're super popular, but they've accomplished a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I will say that this wave, including Mets, like this wave, fucked up as a band is one thing, but also I think their community involvement and what they've done. F first of all, I mean, they're, they're, they're friends of mine, so I'm not, I understand that it might not seem like an objective opinion, but when I stand back and look at their efforts to do community-oriented things and galvanize people, not just around their band or their sound, but just like try to create this open space for or, or try to make try to capture what's very vibrant about Toronto which is I think it's a, eclecticism like it's just a, it's a very diverse place and I think they've done 
whatever they can in various ways, not just as a band, but in their separate projects to draw attention to that. Anyway, I do think that it was interesting to me that she was like, oh yeah, forgot about Fucked Up, which isn't that old, like long ago. Because I do think that they opened up a window for Mets. She cited Mets. And I was like, I love Mets. Like I, I was, I'm a big fan of Mets. And I was right away, as soon as I got to see them, I was like, holy crap. But I was like, I pointed to Fucked Up a little bit. What do you make of that? Do you think that they had a... a, a I think you're certainly not wrong. I guess <laughs> in... Fucked Up... The, while there is a larger community in Toronto, I do see it. There's a lot of little pockets of communities. Yeah, yeah. And Fucked Up are just on that, like... They're not in my immediate circle, so I don't necessarily... Uh, I don't always think of them, or that's not my like go-to. Even though you are totally right, they are a massive band. I think world-renowned. They're a world-renowned band they've for a band that's the, called Fucked Up. Like they won the Polaris yeah. Music Prize a few years ago, and that was like I thought a really, whatever you make of that prize, it's like one of Canada's biggest, most prestigious music prizes. The fact that they won was quite shocking to a lot of people because they were up against. We don't think of ourselves, I guess, as a bunch of brash, loud. Canadians, you know, Canadians don't think of themselves that way, but we are. And the fact that a band called Fucked Up would win a prize like that was, it was all very strange. I was there when they won. It was just like the reaction was interesting. But, um, but I, th- I thought that that was actually a nice moment for punk and underground culture. That the next day, every major media news outlet had to talk about Fucked Up. And I kind of feel like that's been forgotten it was, it was like almost 10 years ago or something that they won I can't remember maybe that's like not even or whatever I don't know it was six seven years ago but yeah I I'm interested it's interesting to me that the younger generation of bands that I've been speaking to at least on two occasions hasn't really pointed to them because I kind of think of them as crucial maybe it's just because I'm old and I know them but I know Mets too and I think they, they're great yeah but it's you're but not that old. I'm not that old. It's true. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm and not to shortchange Mets. Mets was was Mets influential to you, like their success and their sound. I always liked them. Um, I think inf- influential more in terms of uh, working dynamic and respecting, like maybe not influential sonically, but more of ev- every everything else. Uh, they're just the hardest working guys, and the fact that they continue to go out on tour for like it seemed like they were on tour forever yeah. on that first record specifically yeah. yeah and i've always just respected bands like that the bands that just get in the van and like all right we're just gonna do this right okay all right so toronto's having a moment we don't know what about the rob ford thing uh that thing's tough because whenever anyone passes away that's in the public spotlight yeah there's immediately this thing to remember the good side of them and be like oh he's a family or whatever but he was a racist homophobe and I I don't know like oh, sorry, I, I, I only I only think about this now because that video just became public of yeah, him smoking, smoking crack. crack yeah and everyone's like oh this is such a shame like you shouldn't watch it it's disrespectful to him his family well I don't know I don't even mean um, sorry I went off a bit of it no too. no 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 all I mean is what about the atmosphere that he basically created in Toronto like, I don't mean him as a... Like, I mean, it is him as a person, and it is his behavior. But that made Toronto... It was embarrassing for the city. Uh, a lot of people were infuriated. I wondered if... This is maybe a stretch, but shortly after all of that, 
there was this explosion in very aggressive music of people kind of reacting. Because not only did you have, there was also a mayoral, there was an election um, beyond all the stuff he was doing that was criminal and offensive and horribly indecent. It was also tied to an election where people had to make choices about policies. And the fact that he was doing relatively well in those polls I mean, your city is kind of messed up, man. Like, I, anytime people are like, I can't believe something's happening in Toronto, I'm like, don't forget something bad. Don't forget, like, there was a, this guy had a mandate to rule the city. There's enough people in your city that thought that was okay. The funny thing with that is that it's never the actual city, like what I consider the city, which is the downtown-ish core, I guess, and the West End and what used to be called just Toronto. Whenever I'd see those maps, it would be the Ford voters were always the suburban sure. people. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's embarrassing. It's totally embarrassing. I guess people want to people are so concerned with saving money. Yeah. And that's that's what they viewed his thing as, I guess, um, as like, well, he's he's this and he's that. But, you know, he just speaks the truth and he's going to save me money. Like, I'm not going to have to pay tax to this. It's like. Oh, it's so, uh, it's, it's, so it's, it's obviously on a much grander scale, but I think you could make the argument that Trump, Donald Trump has kind of taken something from the Rob Ford playbook in that he's igniting yeah. inflam, like he creates this inflammatory environment and he ignites the passions of people who are just excited to let their baser instinct free and uh, to the detriment of decorum in our culture. So that's why I just, I, you know, they say like punk rock rises uh, in the face of adversity, uh, socio-political, cultural adversity. I'm maybe being too much of like a cultural wanking, wanker guy right now, but there does seem to be something to me about the general tone in Toronto as it's being reflected by bands like yours on some level. I know you're probably like, I'm not thought about Rob Ford once when I'm writing a song. I've not thought about the bat flip or anything like that, but I just think culturally that stuff as you live in that city, it's got to kind of inform your basic interaction with it. I think with me and I think with anyone, even if you're not necessarily the most politically involved person, uh it does it does enter your thought process consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. Um and not even just that, like the things that are happening to the environment and just the wars that are happening for no legitimate reason. It, it's a really scary time to be alive yeah. for me personally. And, yeah. I, like, and I also feel weird even saying that because I am like, I'm a white male living in Toronto, Ontario. Yeah. Uh, things historically have been the easiest for what I am yes and I feel guilty and ashamed and then I'm still worried about all these things it's like well I I have no right to be like these other people have it so much worse yeah sure sure and so you try to be an ally but then you have to educate yourself or else you could do more damage than than good that's what's happening too Yeah. yeah it's a it's a pungent cultural stew we're in and I imagine Consciously or subconsciously, it must be a lot of fodder for a creative person like yourself. It's probably in there somehow. It's it's in there. Yeah. 
It's like a little little egg somewhere. <laughs> you have a new uh, fake palms EP coming out. Yep. September 30th, you were September saying? September 30th. What's it called? Uh, Heavy Paranoia. There you go. There you go. And what, uh, why? Why is it called Heavy Paranoia? Michael, tell me. Uh, I didn't actually think of the name. Simone thought of the name, oh. but we all thought it fit perfectly. Um, because of, yeah, like everything we're saying, the cultural climate. It's terrifying. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was bang on. You're, 100%. Everything is informing. Okay. And uh, what about the, um, is, there, is there a thematic connection between the title and what's going on on the, on the songs? Yeah, I think consciously and subconsciously, a lot of the songs are about being alive at, in this time and being afraid. Um, and it has a lot to do with death. Um, like, I, I lost my brother a couple of years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's, it, I mean, yeah, it sucks. But, um, and I'm still dealing with that, even sometimes when I don't think I am. Like, I'll write a song and I'll kind of automatically write and just kind of see what comes out but then it it's always about that yeah um and sometimes it'll take me months to realize that which is always strange so yeah it's just not to be a bummer but uh yeah i think just trying to work any good art is trying to work through something yeah um and that is what we're we're dealing with as a group of people hmm. Wow. Okay. And um, we we started off by talking about how Fake Palms was basically your outlet. Uh, now that you are a real band, how how collective is the creative process? On the EP, it's kind of half and half. Um, there's one song that that Pat, our guitar player, wrote almost everything, and then I just kind of put a melody and some some words onto it. Uh, and then oh, so he wrote everything. You're you're always going to be the singer. Is that the deal? I. Th- I mean, you know, I know, you never know. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think for now, but who knows? Maybe I'll lose my voice and I can't sing. Okay. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you never know. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Okay. Um, maybe Pat will start singing. Right. Um, so it is a little more democratic. It's definitely a bit more democratic and cohesive is such a funny word, but yeah, cohesive in terms of everyone's bringing their ideas, and even if I'll necessarily write a song and be like, "This is the song," everyone will kind of add their thing to it right which wasn't necessarily happening as much on earlier recordings which is nice um and i think this ep sounds more like a band than the last record okay and it's out on buzz records buzz records and people can learn about it at uh, buzzrecords.ca i think it is yeah i think that's right what is your do you have a thing where can people learn about you guys just go to the buzz records website we're which, on facebook and twitter and all our links are on as there. fake palms yeah okay is there a song from the EP that we can maybe go out on so people can uh, hear it? Uh, yeah, let's play Holiday. Holiday? Yeah. Okay, Holiday's the song. Okay. Uh, Michael, this was fun. Thanks for joining me on a bench in Ottawa in front of a hotel. Uh, nothing really happened beyond no. us. I mean, sorry, this was great. A lot happened here. But sometimes when I'm outside, there can be, you know, we had the sanitation truck. Yeah, there's the garbage truck. Otherwise, pretty, Alanis Morissette didn't walk by. Nothing weird happened, really. There was that kid with the whistle. I was kind of hoping this was going to be like the one you did with Shazad. Yes. Where you walking around and you kept running into, it was like, this is your life. Yeah, it was weird. I was into that one. I liked that one, too. Yeah. And it was odd that we just kept running into people he knew or vaguely knew of him. And yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Can't win them all. We sat. Do you think we would have had that experience? You and I no, walking around No, I don't Ottawa? know anyone no one in knows Ottawa. You, yeah. Although it's the festival, so we probably would have run into everyone we know. 
Knowing you, you would have gotten punched in the face. Yeah, probably. Probably good that we sat. Well, a lot of people want to punch me in the face. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Mm. Perfectly nice guy. Michael, thanks for being on the show and best of luck with fake palms. Appreciate it. Thank you. Music by Fake Palms. That was Holiday from their new Heavy Paranoia EP, which is out everywhere via Buzz Records on September 30th. Thank you, Michael, for the chat and the frankness and the openness. And uh, hopefully, you don't get punched in the face by anybody ever again. That's my hope for you, Michael. Hey, if you want to listen to Creative Control with Vishkana, there are many ways to do it. You're doing it now. If you can hear me right now, you're listening to the show. So you probably don't need to know this, but let me tell people who are uh, listening to the show for the very first time 
Creative Control is available via iTunes and Audioboom.com, and also uh, you can stream it and download it via my website, vishkana.com, which is generally the hub where everything you need to know about the show is placed. It's placed in that hub, including information about how to make a flexible monthly donation to the podcast edition of the show via patreon.com. The show also has a presence on Facebook, Creative Control of Vishkana. Just look it up on Twitter, at Creative with a K. And a version of this show is broadcast every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time via CFRU.ca, or if you're in the Guelph-Kitchener-Waterloo area, as far as our signal goes, via CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. So check out the show. Tell people about the show. Review the show. Rate the show. Tell people about the show. Do stuff with the show if you can, because we want the thing to grow. Really. That's all we want. Don't do it so much that someone wants to punch you in the face. Hang back a little bit. Get close to getting punched in the face talking about the show, but just just take a couple steps back. You know, you know what I'm saying? Hang back a little bit. All right, that's all I have to say for now. I was just in Montreal uh, for Pop Montreal, and I did a couple live interviews, and they went well. Only one of them is permitted to be featured uh, on the uh, program on a future edition, but I haven't got it yet, so I'm not even going to say it. The other one was great, but I, the artist is older and particular and didn't want it recorded, which is crap as far as I'm concerned. I found out like a day before I got there, and it was presented as creative control, talks to... And then nothing. Anyway, I got one, as far as I know, and when I get the tape, I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Go listen to Fake Palms. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.